0: Everyone welcome to the Israel Bible podcast. My name is Cindy Parker. I am an author, a speaker, and a professor of Holy Land Studies at the Israel Bible Center. And I'm passionate about reading the Bible in the physical, historical, and cultural context of its day. And I really love having these sorts of geeky conversations with people about new things. So in this podcast, I'd like to invite you to join me as I sit down each week with other faculty members of IBC to discover new aspects of the Bible. This week, I am joined by the founder of Israel Bible Center, Dr. Eli Lizorkin Eisenberg. He has written so many interesting courses for IBC, so it's always a bit challenging to decide which course I want to highlight. In the previous two episodes, I highlighted Jewish Insights into Scripture Part One, but today I want to dip very briefly into his audio course called The Jewish Gospel of John. Because it is an audio course, it has a whole different cadence to it. And Dr. Lee Zorkin-Eisenberg becomes a fascinating storyteller. And your experience as a student is totally different from watching a lecture and seeing a PowerPoint presentation. In the past five years or so, I've become so interested in unraveling some preconceived ideas I had about John 4, which is the place where Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well, The more I engaged history, Samaritan culture, beliefs, and the real lived experience of women in the first century, the more I recognized that I had assumed some things about the Samaritan woman that were not actually true. If we let her speak with her own voice, we have a chance to understand her hurt and Jesus's compassion in a way that truly would bring out her community to see Jesus." Dr. Lee's work in Eisenberg gives her fair treatment in his audio course and I really wanted to bring that perspective to you. He also has a book about the Samaritan woman available on Amazon, so I'll put a link to that in the episode notes. To properly set the stage, we need to start with answering the question, who are the Samaritans and why are they in a different territory than the Jews?
1: And essentially, there's two kinds of groups that are inhabiting the first century Holy Land, and not only the Holy Land, but also diaspora. Those that are, could be called Samaritans and Samarians. Okay, now Samarians are essentially people of the area of Samaria. They were told in Second Kings five, I think it is, that they were. Some people brought from overseas as part of the dispossessing and removing the pillars of community, bringing them to not their land and switching them around. And that's what all kings did. This is what Stalin did. This is what everybody did. Uh, They knew that this was a very, very powerful way to do it. Now, there is another group of people that exists up until today. Now, it's it's barely surviving. It's maybe a couple of thousand people. At that, they call themselves the Samaritans. They do not believe that they are the ancestors of those Samarians, the mixed group of people. They're not those people. Those group of people came. Who did they come to? They came to one of the people that, the, the, the people that were uh, rebuilding Jerusalem, and they were rejected. Remember that? So they wanted to help somehow with the rebuilding of Jerusalem, and this is a very awkward story, you know, a very awkward story, but they were rejected for one reason or another. It's a different topic. But these are the people that say there is no way under heaven we could have possibly been this kind of people because we thoroughly believe that this is a huge mistake to depart from the real mountain of God. Zion is for the Israelite apostates, they're the people that have gone wrong. We are the real Israelites. So the Samaritans call themselves Shamronim. Uh, and in Hebrew you're hearing, in American Hebrew you're hearing, they're the keepers of the ancient traditions. Now it's interesting, they have uh, they have a Torah, uh, the Samaritan Torah, that's written in the alphabet that predates the Hebrew that we're using today. They, they also have a Torah. Now, their Torah is extremely similar to the Torah of the Jewish Judean tradition, but it is different
0: in, in, some,
1: in some places. I won't go into detail as to where it's different exactly.
0: This is an interesting point. Think for a moment about all you know about the stories of the patriarchs and the wilderness wanderings and the Israelite approach to the land of inheritance. Within the books of Moses, how many times is Jerusalem mentioned? Once. Well, maybe twice, but that's a fascinating geographical issue I don't want to get into right now. Now think of how many times the city of Shechem and the mountains of Ebal and Gerizim are mentioned. So many times. So if those are the only books you have, and if you have a slightly different version of those books than the Judeans to the south who honor Jerusalem, You can see how this becomes ground for conflict, right?
1: But the point is that in the ancient time, there was a a big debate about who was the true Israelite. And what was different back then is that Samaritans were not just a couple of thousand people as they are today. Today, they're just completely irrelevant political and religious group. They're nice, exotic. When you're in Israel, go see the Samaritan Passover. It's they still sacrifice. It is a sight yeah.
0: to be beheld.
1: It is yeah. a sight to be beheld. It's really worth it. It truly is worth it. It's fantastic. Go visit. Okay, it's in 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 Shechem uh, nearby there uh, in Shechem, but nearby.
0: Yeah, on Mount Gerizim. Yeah,
1: Gerizim. But at that time in the ancient times, the amount of Samaritans and a Mount of the Judeans. Were we, we can't tell for sure, but we think that they were closer to equal. In other words, we're not dealing here with a minority, small group of people, but we're talking about fairly large group of people sandwiched between Judea and, and Galilee. So Judea, Samaria, Galilee. Now, uh, they were very mean to each other. A Ju- Jewish soldier priest had once destroyed one of their temples. It's bad blood. Samaritans come to Ju- to Jerusalem uh, undercover, incognito, throwing around the chicken bones in the temple. They're desecrating it. There's all kinds of weird stuff going on. And, and the relationship between the ancient Samaritans and Judeans really are not the relationship as Christians imagine them Christians imagine them to be as a relationship between Jews and half Jews this is the tra- this is how traditional Christianity explains the Samaritans Samaritans they say were the mixed group of people and the Jews did not like them for that reason now this is crazy because Israelite faith back then and now does not mind non Jews Okay? as long as they become Jews, as, l- as long as they join the faith, they can rise to the level of Rabbi Akiva, one of the greatest uh, sages of Talmud, who was a Gentile, who couldn't read Hebrew until he was 40. By the way, this is a good example for you. Perhaps you're 40, 50, 55. You haven't started Hebrew yet. See, Rabbi Akiva became one of the greatest rabbis of Judaism. At 40 he started. So you don't need to become one of the greatest rabbis of Judaism, right? You could just begin learning Hebrew and begin discovering the treasures of the Bible under the English translation. But I'm just going a little bit to the side. Of so coming back to this issue.
0: But it is more a question of they are claiming to be the true people of God and the it's, Judeans it's, are claiming to be the true yes, people. Yes,
1: exactly. It's, it's and the very best connection that I can make a reference to in the modern setting that I'm aware of is really the connection between Muslims of Shia and Sunni background. Now, many years ago, 10, 15 years ago, back on the George Bush, the younger, uh, there was, uh, you know, wars between Sunni and Shia going on. I mean, crazy. I can't even remember where, Iraq, probably. But they were blowing up each other's mosques. They're, they're doing, like, horrible things. And to a, a, an unsuspected Westerner, whether believer or not, or, or not, it looks weird. It looks very strange. I mean, it makes some sense for radical Muslim to blow up a church. It makes some sense. I mean, if you hate it so much, right, <laughs> and you want to cleanse, the, cleanse the, the, the world, God's world, from this terrible evil, okay, you can, you can do that. That's the justification of the radical terrorism uh, of any kind, in this case, uh, radical Muslim terrorism. But when Muslims actually kill Muslims, Right? It makes no sense to us because we we think of Xi and Sunni, you know, like Protestants and Catholics. And maybe it happened once in the 16th century, but not now. But but the truth is they were both Israelites. So to other people, this were all, we can say they were all Jews, but that, that would not be correct. They would, they, they would say they were all Israelites, the Judean Israelites and the Samaritan Israelites. And this is why uh, in my course, I almost always refer to the Samaritans, not just as Samaritans, but as Samaritan Israelites, in order to keep training person's mind to go away from the what they've been taught for so many years, that these guys are not Israelites, They're they they may be quarter Jewish, maybe they have a Jewish great 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 whatever. No, in their mind, they are Torah loving Israelites, they are the ones that are sticking to the original mount of God's blessing. This is the mountain where. Abraham had sacrificed Isaac. This is the mount where the you know the blessings were were pronounced. So from their standpoint, it is the Judeans that have left the faith. It is the Judeans that have gone of the deep end, them and their Davidic dynasty and Zion business. This is not what it should be all about. Now you have the same Torah, and just as, as in the case of Shia and Sunni, you have the same Quran. But then you have other things, different, uh, whether oral or written, later developed, obviously written, uh, but mostly oral in the beginning, traditions that help to apply certain, certain things. For example, the Samaritan Israelites had a liverite marriage kick in, this protection of liverite marriage, when a brother uh, must, must marry the wife of the deceased brother must impregnate the woman, leave those children. If there will be children from that brother, he would not get that portion and raise these this children as those who do not belong to him. There's a lot of sacrificing that was supposed to be happening in a liverite marriage. So Samaritan Israelites said, yeah, there is a liverite marriage. Of course there is. But as long as the marriage was not consummated. So, in other words, if there was an engagement, but there was no consummation marriage, the levirate marriage can kick in, and the and the Judean Israelite says, "Are you crazy? No, it's m- marriage would have been already consummated, and then the protection of a levirate uh, levirate marriage in the ancient society is allowable." Now, there's there's many 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 different things of that sort. Okay, so they would have. One Torah, but the application of the law would be sometimes, sometimes different. And so, so we have Jesus, as you noted correctly, and uh, pretty much everybody notices when they preach through the Samaritan woman, that it was necessary for Jesus to go through Samaria. So why was it necessary? And this is where I think if you take the course, you will be blown out by some of the insights that you probably never thought about, never picked up on before. One of them is that you can't really understand John's gospel unless you read it in the backdrop of the prophecies of Ezekiel. Now, there's nothing wrong with reading it in the background, prophecies of Ezekiel, but why Ezekiel, right? Why Ezekiel? I'll give you one example. remember when Jesus says that, uh, and whoever believes out of him, Will flow the rivers of the living waters, the scripture says. And of course, if you go look for that scripture, you're not gonna find it. Because there is no scripture like that. Unless
0: <laughs> I was Jesus say, is
1: referring Ezekiel. to Ezekiel. <laughs> Ezekiel. Yes. And unless Jesus is saying he is that temple from that vision, Ezekiel's vision. And when when he comes close, the waters are bursting open and, and flowing from from that eschatological temple to the entire earth, and bringing that much needing life to even to the point that the Dead Sea becomes alive. Right? There's some, this incredible, incredible imagery, and only if you realize that Jesus, through John's gospel, it's not really Jesus. It's more. It's more. It's more John. If he's if he's the author, it's John who sees Jesus the way he sees him because others see him differently, and he sees him as the. Constant fulfillment of the what's going on in the book of, of of Ezekiel. Now another thing that's going on in the book of Ezekiel. One of the main kind of thematic things is is that there is a court case being administered, and the Lord is is saying enough. I am going to bring judgments against, judgment against the evil shepherds of Israel. I am the good shepherd of Israel. I will come. And so in John's gospel, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And that, and, and this is all of a sudden when you begin to realize little by little, little by little, that in John's gospel, everyone is testifying. This is a court case. This guy is witnessing. This guy is witnessing. That is witnessing. That is witnessing. Sign, 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 sign. Are you not convinced yet?
0: Oh, I love it. So,
1: So that... It. So the court, the the cloud thickens, and the court is in session, and you know God is judging, but also the reader, the hearer, because nobody read <laughs> back then; they heard it. They're they're judging who who, what's going on, and in John's Gospel, Jesus really comes to judge the the corrupt establishment, the swamp of Jerusalem using the the recent political language, the Jerusalem elite, that's who who he's judging. Now, okay, this is a little bit of a background of what's going on in John's gospel. Now, he gets to this place where it's very, it's truly amazing place because when you get to John chapter Four, four is it, right? Yes, Samaritan woman. Um, We're told almost right away that this conversation between this 30-something Judean Israelite and who knows how old Samaritan woman is taking place near the place of burial of, of Joseph's bones. And this is amazing because if you're paying attention, you go very, you kind of, you can go fast, and it's good to go fast because it's good to read the gospels in the, in the whole set in one setting. But just like in the movies, you have to kind of zoom in and go slow on some places. And certainly, like in sports, the cameras do that—you know, concentrate on the moment when the ball <laughs> enters the gates. You know, uh, and this is the kind of place where you kind of have to go slow and have to say, why, is, "Why Why do we need to know that? Why do we need to know that? What is about to transpire that was so important?" That, that Jesus, you know, I, this is not for you because you know this a lot better than me, but basically Josephus Flavius says that it took six days to, to for Jews to go from Judea to Galilee. They had to cross the Jordan, walk on the other side, cross it again, and it's three days if you walk through Samaria. But the problem is you may get beat up, you may get mugged, it may not end well for you. Uh, there's all kinds of problems. So most Jews prefer that kind of way. So, therefore, John's statement that that Jesus had to go through Samaria makes a lot of sense, right? So why did it? Why is it so important that he had to go? Now remember the Ezekiel. In Ezekiel, the Good Shepherd. It's amazing. In Ezekiel, Good Shepherd is going to reunite the North. And the south, the northern and the southern kingdom of Israel, the Messiah, the Lord himself, when he comes to judge the false shepherds of the house of Israel, he will reunite somehow the north and the south. In other words, you cannot be king of Israel if you are not the king for the entire Israel. And I don't mean the church. I don't mean Gentiles grafted in. This is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you cannot be the king of Israel if you are just the king of Judea. You must be the king of the entire Israel. And could it be that this is exactly what's going on here? Could it be that this is why Jesus, as the good shepherd, had to come through Samaria, had to have this life-changing, civilization-changing conversation with this I don't know what age woman, but certainly not a woman of loose moral standards as we have imagined her to be. How do I know that? Well, first of all, and most of you know that most of you, for most of you, this this story bothered you a long time ago already. I I'm I'm not the first one to that brought out this um, this bothersome feeling.
0: But again, if they've heard things for a long time, sometimes we forget to go back and question them and so it is good to have the reminder to go back and question, because I also grew up with people telling me that she was a woman of loose standards and sure. was shamed. And I said, th- that's actually not in the text.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah, Lots of things are not in the text. Yeah. Like uh, now, how, how do people argue that she was a woman of loose standards? Well, she was uh, uh, drawing water in the afternoon. Okay, right? So now how, it, it, which supposedly the hottest time during the day. First of all, it's not the hottest time of the day. The ho- well, it's the beginning of the hottest time of the day. It's not that bi- it's not that hot actually. Number 2, um if it was and if she was trying to avoid wim- uh, other women, other people, uh, could it not be that she was depressed about something such as losing One husband after another, and I had, (laughs) believe it or not, I had an aunt, grand aunt. I don't know if it's a grand aunt, and she she was like something like a grandmother to me, that was married five times. And they were, all men died before her, okay? And the guy that I remember, this guy Benjamin, very old Jewish person, Jewish guy, elderly elderly Jewish um, uh, person, I remember, he was so, so sweet, I was a kid. I think he was number five or six or five or six, and people die, things happen.
0: And there is no shame. There wouldn't have been shame at that time if she had a husband who died, but it becomes a financial issue, potentially. Yeah, it could, it
1: could become, no, no, no. It, it, well, my point is that we don't know squat. Right. <laughs> what went on there. Right. This is my point. My right. point is most of what's been built on this, been built through imagination of clergy that essentially are not justified. There is not a shred of evidence that would qualify this woman to be a, a, a woman of ill repute, especially because if she's a woman of ill repute, and remember the Samaritans were not people of, of loose moral standards, they were highly esteemed religious community who just happened to disagree with the Judean Israelites, how they do it, but they had their own religious way to do it. And they would not tolerate anything like this, but when after meeting Jesus, she comes back and says, "Wow, well, come and see. What do they do? They drop whatever they're doing, the entire village comes and follows her to check out a Judean. Makes no sense. You see, it makes no sense if she is that which she is portrayed so often to be. But also, let me show you how else, uh misinterpretation of this text or any other text could easily take place when jesus walks uh, uh, talks with her about the husbands and there's two ways to to say how he says it one way to say it is to imagine jesus to be a bit of a jerk and that is to say and he would say something like (laughs) yeah (laughs) you had how many husbands and the guy you're now living with, you know, he's not a husband at all. Go call him. The, the, the problem with this kind of Jesus is that not the, that's not the kind of Jesus that we meet in the pages of the scripture. We meet uh, someone who is entirely different. So I think that the kind of person that we meet in other pages of the scripture and the kind of person that we have met personally through our own experience with, uh, with Jesus is that. He is kind and compassionate. And so therefore, it's very possible to reread this, the same text with a quite a different feeling of Jesus in correspondence in in relation to Samaritan woman to say, I know your pain. I know about this. I know what happened to you. And you see, we don't know why she was avoiding, because remember that story about Tamar? Judah had three sons. Two of them died with Tamar, and Judah said, "Yeah, uh, I'll give you the third one. I have a lot of them." No, he said, "No more over my dead body. I'll keep you. I'll I'll keep giving you, feeding you promises. I I, I'm willing to transgress uh, the the you know the developing Israelite law. I will not give you justice, but I will not give you my third son because that's the only thing I have left. Now, of course, Tamar." Does the heroic act that is not condemned at all in the Bible and pulls through the birth? What is it? Grandfather of King David, right? Peretz.
0: Oh, great.
1: Or great grandfather, right? The point no, is great great. Or great great. But the point is the line goes through Tamar. Now, why am I talking about Tamar?
0: Leverett marriage. and the- That's
1: it. So that's the thing. Imagine if this is a woman. I'm imagining her to be, and I'm justified just as a possibility, to be about, uh, let's say, 45 years old. Let's say, maybe a little bit more. A woman that has deep sadness on her face because of the kind of things that happened to her. Whether it was through divorce, whether it was through sickness, which was all over the place back then. Whether it was through inability to bear children. I don't know what exactly had happened, but, and it, if she was avoiding somebody, it could have been for those reasons, and you know, well, no, when you're depressed, you don't want to talk to people, (laughs) this is what happens, you know, and when you're depressed, this is the most important thing for you to do, actually, to get out and talk to people, but that's not what you want to do, okay, so there's so many, and I'm not saying she was depressed, I'm just saying that there is, there is uh, possibilities, and how do we know this is not taking place in the winter? you know how cold Samaria gets in the winter time, you will not, if you have a jacket and it's not thick enough, you'll freeze to death over there. It's that cold. So you're imagining so we're imagining so many different things that are not in the text, while those things that are actually in the text, we're not imagining them. So instead of saying, when the woman says, I know that the teacher will come, there will come the one who will teach us everything. The Messiah will come. She senses that Jesus is crossing the bridge, that he is like a wine climbing over the wall into the next, into another. And what she's doing, she's also climb she's meeting him halfway. Why? Because the Samaritans, best we know, did not have the concept of Messiah. It was a Jewish concept, Judean concept. They had the concept of the cleanser, he was a teacher also. He was mainly the rabbi, but but Messiah is not their terminology. She's using Judean terminology because she's already realizing something that's going on over here. He's climbing over to her. She's beginning to open up, to, to climb over to, to meet him halfway. And when she begins to ask the kind of questions she's asking, I heard one time an apologetics course that, that said that Jesus had nailed her to the cross of his justice when, she, when he said, go go bring your husband. You're not even married to the guy who you live with. By the way, we're imagining her living outside of bounds of marriage, right? Who told you that this is the case? Why could he, she not live with an uncle who, because the liverite marriage wasn't there to support her, couldn't take her in? There are so many possibilities. <laughs> right. you, see? you see? So all of a sudden, all of a sudden, instead of a 20, 25-year-old 20, young woman who's, who's out to get men, you may be looking at actually a 50, 55 years old woman, you have no idea, who has suffered much. And this is why I made such a big deal about the bones of Joseph. Because I think the reason they're mentioned is because they're in one way or another mirroring out the story of Samaritan woman. Samaritan woman suffers much in her life and in the end is crowned by meeting the son of God himself. brings salvation to her entire village and her entire little world receives salvation in the same exact way that Joseph even though he was truly spoiled brat, but he suffers eventually an ungodly and over-exaggerated punishment that's given to him by his, by his horrible, horrible brothers, uh, antithetical to brotherhood. And yet all of the suffering ends with the salvation of his little world. You know, people, when I was working through the, John's Gospel, used to be a blog. I used to write a blog called Jewish Studies for Christians. And quite a lot of people followed me through this study, little by little, over like four years period. And people would write to insights like this. They would say, you know what it made me think about? I said, I'd say what? And they'll say, How much more are we missing? This is the real this is the real bad news here. The good news is that. So much of this insights is collected in one place, this resource that we call the Israel Bible Center. One place with enormous amount of this little and huge insights where the Bible goes from black and white, even from color into, I don't know, curved HD or something. I mean, something is all of the- <laughs> uh, right. so picture clear. Yeah. But you go like, wow, can I touch it? You're hearing the sound of the sandaled feet. And that's the kind of journey I think that you and I, Cindy, um, are really inviting the listeners to follow IsraelBibleCenter.com. They are honestly five minutes away from changing their life forever.
0: Perfect. That's a great place to end. Thank you for inviting us even into the audio journey of that course about the Jewishness of the Gospel of John. And maybe even some people didn't know that there were audio classes as well as the videos because we specialize in having all of these videos that are amazing, but they can also take this journey on the audio version.
1: Exactly. This is also better in the sense that if you don't have a strong internet connection, some people do live even in the Western world, in the places where actually internet connection is not as strong and the audio is a lot lighter.
0: Thank you so much. I know it's really late where you live. We are... In opposite places on the globe and yet it is so fun to be able to come together and have this time to just talk about these really geeky interesting conversations they're so much fun for me so stimulating so thank you for being part of the podcast
1: thank you very much for having me
0: If you want to hear more about the Jewish insights in the Gospel of John, you can sign up using the link in the episode notes. And as a thank you for listening to the podcast, use the coupon code Israel when you register and you'll receive a free surprise. If you like what you've been hearing on the Israel Bible podcast, you can let other people know by sharing a link to this episode on any of your social media platforms. Thank you for helping us spread the news about what is available at IBC. Thank you to Jeremy McDonald with Mason Jar Music for mixing, editing, and crafting all the good sounds that you hear. And thank you for being curious about the world of the Bible.